Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. Sam Fonda is among the most revered and successful brewers in the state of West Virginia. Since opening Weathered Ground Brewery in 2017, Sam has produced a plethora of different beer styles, stretching the West Virginia craft beer envelope, while at the same time developing a tight group of recurring core brands that West Virginians have grown to love. Aaron, I find their products to be easy to love, uh, and I know you're a fan of this beer too. Yes, I sure am. And one of the things that I love the the most about Weathered Ground Brewery is actually visiting the brewery tap room itself. It's an absolutely beautiful facility sitting amidst a large grassy field with some amazing views. And it's not hard to get attached being here, looking out over the landscape, just enjoying everything with some great brews. So here is the man himself joining us today on West Virginia Beer Roads. We welcome Sam Fonda, co-owner and head of brewery operations at Weathered Ground Brewing in Cool Ridge, West Virginia. Sam, it's great to have you back with us. Thanks for having me back. It's always fun. And thank you, Sam, for bringing out a couple of weathered ground brews for us to sample today. I'm going to let you introduce the first one before we get talking into the big picture stuff. Sure. Uh, The first beer we're tasting is our uh, West Coast IPA, or one of our West Coast IPAs that we usually have in rotation here. It's called That Old West Coast IPA. Um... I really love this beer because it reminds me of a beer that I used to brew for a previous brewery. Of course, I didn't want to make that exact same beer, so I switched around a lot of stuff, but it, it's in the same spirit of that beer. It's, it doesn't have a ton of bittering hops in it, but enough to call it a West Coast. We're not shooting for crystal clear clarity there, but it's nothing like a, a hazy IPA. Uh, the hops that we use in it are Amarillo on the front 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 of it. Uh, we use a lot of Amarillo hops, and uh, we also put a touch of Citra hops in there. But of course, you have to be careful with that, or else Citra hops are all you're going to taste. And then we also use um, some really classic West Coast hops like Chinook mm-hmm. and Centennial. And uh, I just think it's a really good balanced IPA for uh, for those of us that grew up uh, sort of you know before the haze craze as being. Uh, <laughs> craft beer fans yeah it's great to see that you know you continue that west coast ipa tradition because yeah they're quite different in flavor and, and appearance and all from the hazies and uh, yet a wonderful beer yes oh yes what um what's the abv for this one uh this one is 7.2 um with most of our like uh regular hazy ipas i try to stay below seven percent Um, It just adds to the drinkability of those hazies. Mm -hmm. Um, But whenever we're brewing a West Coast, I tend to, I I like it to, uh, there's something about that number seven. I like (laughs) to try to be there or uh, a little bit above that. So, uh, because it's, uh, you know, the West Coast IPAs are supposed to be a little assertive. Mm -hmm. So we shoot for, uh, that one is, that one comes out at 7.2. We also have one that's called Spiffy and I think it's 6.8. Well, it's quite delicious. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're sitting down here in the actual brewery facility you know with the tanks all around us and puts me in the mind of uh, thinking though about actual physical brewing operations and you know sam since we've talked to you last about big picture things we've seen the west virginia craft beer market continue to develop at a pretty fast clip Um, i'm kind of curious with all the this 
what it all it takes to open a brewery that what's your take now on how the overall West Virginia beer market is handling the locally made craft beer here in early 2023 it's a very exciting time to be a resident in West Virginia um, we've had a lot of really fun things happen over the past few years uh, especially Charleston obviously lately has had uh, mm-hmm two awesome places open up and uh we couldn't be more excited to uh to have that you know an hour away from us and to make new friends and have you know other breweries here to uh to lean on and uh, hang out with they uh the market is uh is growing uh it's taking some some big jumps here and there but it's not it's not like crazy yet um it's uh it's just fun to sit back and watch uh, all the all the people that live in West Virginia just uh, more. I think every day more and more people get turned onto it. We see it here in our tap room where people we still have people come in and say they've never really tried craft beer. They're here because we serve food and you know or, or something, and then they're back next week. They're back next week and can't wait to try the new beer on tap. So it's just uh, we're still turning people into fans, and uh, and I think it's just uh, really great. Well, well, Sam, Weather Ground chooses to self-distribute rather than going through beer distributors. Overall, right now, how is that working for you? I'm really talking about handling all the logistics of distribution and the challenges associated with this type of operation. We chose to first uh, self-distribute because of the size that we were, and I knew the pros and cons of it coming from coming from uh an area where i was sort of trained up i used to be on the distribution side for the first brewery first two the first brewery i worked for and so i sort of knew um the logistics of it yeah and that was in uh, north carolina where uh, overall i'd say they're a, a couple few years ahead of us in developing breweries so they are yeah. the uh i was i've i still am today just very paranoid about our product um and uh, just being able to to sort of have uh, full control if I if I want to, you know, uh, be able to talk to our retailers on a more personal level and just have have control over it before it, it's not ours anymore. So as long as we're the size that we are right now, we'll continue to self distribute. Um, it gets a lot harder if you grow more. So if we grow more, we'll have to make some really important decisions. Mm-hmm. But. I just love having being able to have it under my thumb like that, and then uh, we've just uh, we have you know love our distro team and the way that we run things and the way that we're able to get to all the places that we almost all the places we want to be mm-hmm. um, with the markets. Uh, it's been really exciting for us being able to self distribute to Snowshoe over the last two years, um, uh, the Junction Ale House there they buy a lot of beer from us every two weeks and being able to manage that and just uh hopefully that lasts through the summer as well um it's just been uh it's been really great and we want to self-distribute as long as we can um what what all markets are you actually physically in right now within so the way we distribute beer there's two main markets that i call one of them being the Charleston Huntington route. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, there's other uh, small towns in that, but uh, just for short, we call it usually the Charleston Huntington route. That's going to include Taze Valley and, uh, and uh, Cross Lanes and, and Barbersville and places like that. And then there's the Morgantown route. 
Okay. And the Morgantown route is pretty cool because we actually have some some uh, retailers in uh, like um, Tip Top in Thomas. They uh, are in Dave, that might be in Davis. Um, <laughs> go back and go it, back and edit uh, this. <laughs> the Tip Top is in, in but, Thomas. Yeah, yeah but they uh, they like meet us, you know, and uh, so they help. So, so we don't have to drive all the way yeah, there. That would and be so, an expensive haul just to take beer to them. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we uh, we have some people work with us that are really good, like them, and we. Uh, so uh, we we do it biweekly though. One week we'll go to the Charleston Huntington route, and then the next week we'll go to the Morgantown route. Okay. We have one sales rep at uh, Weatherground, and he pretty much has to live on his phone. All the managers of these restaurants want the beer list, you know, emailed or texted to them, and uh, he has to respond to those people and go back and forth on what beers they are and. Mm-hmm. What beers are on the list? What beers does it taste like? Why does that beer fit their portfolio the best? And our beers change every single week. And so it's gonna be a tough uh, job. It is. <laughs> uh, and so, um, but we're really proud of the way we get it out to everybody. And uh, and like the hardest part is turnover for those retailers, like restaurants. They have a new manager because somebody got quit, quit or got fired or something like that. And so, like you know. We have to stay on top of that and know who the new manager is and who we're supposed to send the beer list to and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's got to be challenging. It's challenging. We're, it's, it's hard to be a brewery, a music venue, a place that has events, a, a restaurant, tap room, as well as a distributor. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize we are a distributor. We distribute our product. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you're all pre-sale, right, on your distribution side. You're not hauling out any beer like a beer distributor might and selling off a truck. You know, you all Correct. pre-sold it's everything all, to the account. It's all pre-sale, and occasionally yeah. occasionally there's some errors there, and you got to do damage control. Like, sure. Okay. Oh, just kidding. We can't can this beer today because uh, <laughs> uh, of this issue. Whoops. Uh, sure, things come they're, up. They're not going to get that beer until next week. So mm-hmm. it's tough. Uh but we, we're surviving in it, and uh, I hope our customers are happy. Well, anyway, your products are turning up a lot of places in our local market, and you definitely seem to be getting the job done. I'm curious how distribution has changed now that bars and beer retailers are pretty much back to more normal operations when compared to peak COVID times. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe things like the ratio of sales through off-premise versus on-premise accounts. Talk about that a little bit. Kegs are back big time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the other breweries will probably agree with me that we've just gone through two of the worst months in uh, yeah. in the beer industry. Um, after Thanksgiving, things slow down dramatically, and uh, until February, and so uh, the uh, we're we are preparing to send out a lot of kegs going forward. Like we're getting into the busy season. Uh, but man, during COVID, it was nothing. It was only cans. Uh, I reached out to our graphic design artist, uh, Jason Lockhart, and said, "You know, any beer that we make that's popular, I'm going to need a label for it soon." <laughs> and so, uh, and that's what exploded with our can portfolio, as well as some other brewers in the state. They did the same thing. And uh, now we had. It was. Uh, it was kind of a tough thing to manage getting easing back into kegs like that mm-hmm. um some places just closed and then but like a lot of places are back wide open with kegs and so we had to figure out which products move faster in cans versus kegs mm-hmm. and uh and we 
the way we do that is we kind of just look at look we look at the numbers and go by feel like you know what you like to drink out of on tap at a bar versus what you want to take home with you because maybe that beer's got a little too much alcohol in it for you to drink at a bar and uh, and that kind of stuff and so being able to do uh manage that kind of thing and see what what's going to sell better in a keg versus a can is, is kind of a tough thing to do but kegs are back and uh, we're happy about that we love filling kegs we love drink, people drinking our beer on tap in places and yeah so it sounds like there are some differences as far as stylistic beer differences in what you sell to a bar versus what sells best in the bottle shop is that, yes is that right that's right, except for Hazy IPA. Nobody ca- nobody cares. Uh, it sells both, uh, you know, equally. Uh, if if it tastes good on draft and it's, you know, under 7%, it sells great at, on, dra- on draft at a bar. But if it has a cool label on it and sticks out, you know, in a, uh, in a fridge at a retailer, then mm-hmm. it's going to sell good that way too. So we have to try to balance that a good bit. Mm-hmm. So, Sam, I, I think I recall hearing you talk about changing some of the ratios of the mix of beers that you're producing here at the brewery going forward uh things like needing to brew more of certain core brands talk Mm -hmm. about that my philosophy changed a little bit over the past year with i never like to brew too much of one thing i like to rotate and i feel like that helps the beers move better people get excited about something coming back that they haven't had in a month but there's just a lot of our accounts that uh their customers and them themselves uh they just don't want anything besides uh, Haggard. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm Chestnut talking about Halleck with that a little yeah. bit because they, the, no. they both have the same H name, but, uh, but our Haggard IPA. I, mean, uh, I think that's how core brands develop because mm-hmm. it's whether it's the retailer or certainly the bar, people get used to a they certain They get used to it. They like product. the name. Yeah. They uh, like the branding of it. And, they, uh, and so uh, same thing with Cool Ridge Lager. And uh, those were just like the first two beers that we really – you know packaged and we're really going after and so i find myself buying a lot more el dorado hops right now and trying to always keep haggard in a tank where it used to be i didn't care i just brew the next ipa Mm -hmm. that was in rotation now i'm trying to like always have haggard and cool ridge but we have another lager that i think is uh, equally as good as cool ridge with being our pilsner um but we haven't the branding on that one is not the same as cool ridge and so I'm still trying to manage keeping up with Cool Ridge, but also keeping 16 Shots in Munich, our Pilsner, in rotation. Loggers take up a lot of uh, space space and time. Uh, they take up a lot of time. And so it's tough, but we're, we're doing it. We're about to brew 16 Shots again, and we have, like, a lot of Cool Ridge on hand that's about to go out the door. So, so I know something a lot of brewers find is important, and certainly when they work with beers that are hot for retail and, you know, bottle shops, is that, the, the label appearance, you know, to keep your brand similar so people recognize quickly that is a weather ground beer. Sure. And, you know, the, the trademarks and all the name is in the same place and all that. So is that something because that you've had to think more about as far as the way the labels look? Yes. Uh, and that's something our graphic design artist uh, gets frustrated with a little bit when we use a different art. So like we'll use a different artist for some of our cans and they are not, sometimes they're not only an artist, but they're also a graphic design artist. And so they want to do the layout as well. And I know it bothers right. Jason a little bit. If it doesn't have most of our, I would say like 90% of our labels have the scheme going of the top and bottom colors being the same with, uh, with something in the middle that's a different shade. And so when it's not like that, it can be frustrated to him, but 
he really believes that it's uh, people get familiar with that color scheme, even if it's subconsciously. Uh, they get very familiar with that color scheme and can pick us out on the shelf faster. Right, recognize it. And so uh, we try to we try to continue to do that and continue to have like a familiar uh, feel with our. Well, cans let's like give that. a quick plug to uh, Jason uh, Lockhart. Jason Lockhart and his businesses. Kid in the background. He runs that with Jamie Smith. Uh, they're both just whizzes at everything media, and uh, we love that they're on our team. Right, great. Wonderful. Well, your Bear of Fruit series has been so well-received, and review with us quickly the techniques that you use in making it, and also talk about what new fruit combinations local craft beer connoisseurs can look forward to seeing out in the market or at the brewery this spring. So the bear, I wish Anthony was here because the bear fruit series is his baby. Yeah, I know he loves that. He loves making it. We are going to uh, our account. We we're going to look over the numbers from from last year and see which ones sold the best. And that's about as as, as simple as it is. For uh, there are going to be some that probably don't make the cut as far as coming back because they weren't received as well. Mm-hmm. But like everybody wants the raspberry blackberry one and the raspberry cost like four times more than all the other fruit. Oh, and sure. So, uh, and so it's going to be tough to stay on top of that one because it's so expensive to make. But we'll probably brew it and just charge a little more for it to cover the cost. Um, but lately we've sort of took a break from canning that series because of the winter time. We're focused more on malty big beers um, we're still brewing it, and it's pretty much been draft only for a while. And the the fruit combinations that have been of lately have been because of what what fruit do we have left over from yeah. <laughs> uh, from canning all that stuff. So that right now we've got like a pink guava, peach, mango, and that's like because that's what we have. Right. <laughs> and uh, but it turned out fantastic, and so uh, yeah. hopefully uh, that one might see a can label this summer actually because I like it so much. Um, but. We're going to look at which one sold the best and try to stay on top of that. Um, but not, then, nothing new as far as w- that you haven't had a combination or brewed before. I don't have, anything, you know I don't have anything new on the top of my head right now, but uh, I'm sure Anthony will think of some weird combination. Um, and then Mandy, our bartender upstairs, she loves the bear of fruits. And so we might, uh, I lean on her a little bit about which ones are better than the other ones in her opinion. And then we also are making more fruited sours that uh by the way to answer your the first part of your question it's an old-fashioned it was an old-fashioned kettle sour and now uh, now we don't do it in the kettle anymore uh we changed that about i don't know the beginning of the fall we started playing with uh with a yeast bacteria uh all in one package that does it for us in the fermenter oh nice and uh, we should have done that a long time ago because brewing kettle sours in the kettle is, is just a big pain you have to really really clean and sanitize before and after um which i mean which we do we stay on top of cleaning and sanitizing anyway but it's just different when you do a kettle sour it's just a lot more you know um commitment to uh, to cleaning Whereas this new way, we can do it all in the tank, and we can actually, we'll actually be able to make 15 barrels of the uh, bear of fruits instead of seven. Wow, that and sounds so a lot more efficient. We'll have a lot more kegs. Last this past summer is all cans. No accounts got kegs of it unless it was for a special event. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, there should be equal amounts of cans and kegs of it out there for accounts that don't carry cans and want to have it on draft. Sounds good. Looking yeah, forward no- to it. I've noticed uh, when I talked recently to uh, the folks at uh, Big Timber that discovered they were doing a little, a little different technique in their 
kettle sours, you know, where they had started kind of like you did with a standard process, and then they've kind of developed, I guess, over time, maybe changed yeast and stuff. It's amazing. So there's what I think for the listeners need to know, there are a lot of different ways to sour beer and to make a fruited sour beer, and, and it's not all just the same. And I guess to some extent that will be able to come out in the taste. Other times it's probably not so evident in the taste, the techniques that you've used. So thank you for uh, kind of explaining. Mm-hmm. We love to make the weird techniques. ones too. I think, uh, <laughs> I think, I think people... Uh, I think that there's a ton of breweries that either make kettle sours. I call them kettle sours, but you can do it differently now. What I mean is either make quick sours. I should call them quick sours. Yeah, quick sours. There's a lot of breweries that just do it that way, and then there's a lot of very traditional breweries that do it like the Belgian way of uh, that – uh, that do long long age right. sours with sure. mixed cultures and uh, i'm really proud that we do both um yeah. we, we usually have one to two mixed culture uh wild beers or just uh very sour barrel aged beers that were not a quick sour and uh and we we love to use local fruit when we can get it mm-hmm. um of course a barrel fruit series is not local fruit but we do a lot of local fruit in season with our uh with our neighbor, who's mm-hmm. also an employee here now, um, Tim, uh, the wards, Tim Bucksu Farms. Right. And so uh, I'm proud that we do both. Uh, I was anti-kettle sour for a while, and then, <laughs> of course, Anthony changed my mind. Anthony, that. that's Anthony, Anthony. Metter, the uh, brewer here, the main brewer, I guess you call him. I yep. mean, not that you don't brew as well. but Anthony uh, strikes again. Yeah, Anthony does it. I really don't brew much anymore. Anthony, Anthony, uh owns that brew house over there he holds it down <laughs> that's great so sam uh speaking of some different kind of beers i remember in the past you've dabbled some in collaboration brews with north carolina brewers that you people you knew well and i'm thinking of Fontaflor brewery from morganton uh, resident culture in charlotte and i know how commercially successful those collaborations were but i but I guess I'm curious as to what your outlook is for any more collaborations with other super good small brewers that you know. We are 100% open into doing collaborations with uh, with more West Virginia breweries. Uh, we've been in the talks of doing collaborations with uh, a handful of, uh, of our friends here in the state, and uh, we just uh, haven't had time to put it on the schedule, either because of us or because of them. Um, just finding the right time has been difficult. We say we're going to do it, and then we and we see each other and be like, "Hey, what about that collaboration we talked about?" And then we just yeah. it just it's just gotten tough, especially during and after COVID. Like uh, not just during COVID, but the aftermath of it is like, "Okay, let's get back to what." I mean, I know I don't want to sound like COVID's not still going on when I say that, but but when everything's kind of opened up and draft beers back and everything. Um, but hopefully maybe this this summer we'll get into brewing some beers. We've been talking about doing one with Sophisticated Hounds. They're our neighbor, and we haven't done one yet, and we love them. We hang out yeah, all the time. Neighboring County, that's Sophisticated Hound in Princeton. Yeah, West we've been talking about doing with, with with them and Free Folk, and uh, we just haven't got around to it. I've been talking to High Ground forever about doing it, and we haven't, we haven't got it done yet. And so uh, hopefully this summer we'll get a lot of that done. We've been doing a lot of uh, collaborations recently with different – uh, types of people that are not in the brewing industry for, yeah. for different I, reasons. Yeah, I know. Technically, I don't consider those collaborations. I'm talking about brewery bre- to brewery collabs. Yeah, I knew, I, knew, no. I knew what you meant. Yeah, but right. yeah. So the, uh, the uh, but yeah, like we just made a beer with the local radio station and uh, giving them some love because they they do our advertising for us, and uh, and then we did a uh, collaboration with. Uh, 
the Can Jam concert that goes on in Princeton, and all that all that money went towards the Bluefield uh, food uh, food uh, bank there that provides cans to people. So like we've been doing some of that stuff for uh, for charity, but we we want to get back into making beers with other breweries soon, and so hopefully we'll we'll take some visits yeah. to some places. Yeah, excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you've made a lot of changes to the food that's offered here at your brewery as compared to when you first opened up. How has that process gone, and what have you had to change or adjust for? Uh, we're trying to give people what they want. The So, like, gluten-free is a big thing right now, so uh, not only with the food menu but with the beer as well. So we offer gluten-free pizza, and we've started carrying gluten-free uh, seltzers upstairs. Um, we do need to add some more items that, uh, that are more healthy on the issue, on the, on the food menu. So we're going to tackle that very soon. We've been procrastinating a little bit on that, but we, we are going to add some more items soon. But that's adding items. You're not like redoing anything. You're we're not redoing keep, anything. Keep what you've got. No, we love, uh, we love the way we're doing our wings and pizza and our salads right now. Um, uh, and our appetizers. Uh, we just need to add a couple more healthy items, I think, and uh, and hopefully we'll we'll tackle that soon. They're doing a great job in there. Uh, we never have any turnover in the kitchen, which is unheard of, um, and so uh, we love what they're doing, and they, hopefully they love working here, and uh, it's been great. Well, last year in West Virginia, we had five new breweries open and one remote brewery tap room open also. also. So, uh, for us, that's a big number of new places. We've also got in the pipeline a big new brewery projects from Chestnut Brew Works in Morgantown, the Free Folk Brewery in Fayetteville. You know, both of those should open sometime this spring. Then late last year, Stumptown Brewing, one of the state's highest rated brewers, announced they're going to open a new tap room in Fairmont. So it's uh, things are happening. Uh, the local brewery market seems to be making a big jump forward. Uh, I don't know how much time, Sam, that you've got to get out to visit some of these other places and explore their, their products. But um, like generally, what would your take be on the beer market and the brewers that we're seeing in West Virginia today? I mean, light year's different than when we first opened in, uh, in 2017. There's... Uh, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of talent, a lot of people pushing the envelopes. The the market is uh, looking great here for the uh, the new breweries that have opened are doing a great job. I think I've visited both the new ones in Charleston. The state's getting a lot of out of state beer that they've asked for for a long time right now, and so I think uh, that's making a lot of consumers happy as well. And it's uh, it's motivating us to try harder with distribution and and getting our products out to more places. Uh, it's just totally different than it used to be, and it's it's growing, and that's a good thing for West Virginia. Um, yeah, you mentioned like you know some formal collaborations you're doing with maybe some other breweries, or you're hoping to do. But um, I think isn't there still a, a great spirit of collaboration just among maybe maybe among breweries that are just getting started? Do they talk to you and say, you know, we were thinking of this, or how should we do that? Do they are you giving advice to some of these guys? Absolutely. We, uh, we text each other all the time. I have no secrets really, uh, in terms of, of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so, uh, they, I get questions asked to me all the time. And then, I mean, I text with Josh the other day about pricing for something, uh, because I was just curious of the way they were doing it. And, you know, they just opened and we've been open for five years. So like I'm asking them <laughs> questions. That's good. Um, though. Yeah. there is, uh, 
I would say it's uh, it's pretty kumbaya in West Virginia when it comes to uh, <laughs> to breweries getting along. That's a good way to put it. What about expansion plans for weathered ground? Anything near as far as on the horizon, so to speak? We're always talking about it, but nothing's set in stone right now. I'll pretty much leave it at that. There's uh, We have ideas and we have fantasies about things that we we really want to do you know um we own the place and uh, we have a two-year-old right now and we have two other kids <laughs> and so we'll we'll get motivated to get these plans together and then we'll talk about it and then we'll be like ah well maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit until we can uh do it exactly the way we want to do it mm-hmm. i don't ever want to do something just to do it i want to do it exactly the way we want to do it and have no regrets about it and for it to work sure and so it takes a lot for us to jump in and do it and so we're just we're taking our time we're watching things and uh we just came out of a pandemic we hope to we're we're definitely going to grow in some way or form uh but we're still talking about how we're going to do it yeah i think uh, my guess is that you're pretty much at capacity for production right now as far as what you've done yeah we 100 percent are i think we brewed I think we brewed like 80 more barrels this year than we did last year. And we can't, I can't, uh, yeah. unless I only did IPAs, I can make a lot more beer. <laughs> I can it would make, sell quicker. Yeah. We make some weird beers that don't sell and that right. I, that I like, and some people don't like at all. And it is, you know, uh, we brew a lot of saisons and saisons move. I mean, a hazy IPA moves, you know, 15 times faster than a saison, than a saison or an English mild. Yeah. yeah. And like, we've got like a mild series. So I don't think a lot of people understand the difference in moving beer, like hazy IPA sales immediately versus mm-hmm. uh, we make a lot of styles of beer that don't sell very fast at all. And so, and we make a lot of beers that we put in oak barrels. And so when I did the math this year, it was like just a little bit more than last year, which was kind of disheartening. But then I had to like remind myself that, we make a lot of different styles, and some of those are not popular. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we're sitting down here in the production area, and um, it's pretty full of tanks and barrels and things, but maybe you could squeeze a couple more tanks in here in the interim before you know you made any really big decision on uh, expansion. Or... Our, big, our big bottleneck is our walk-in cooler. Mm-hmm. I believe that almost every style of beer we make, I like, to, uh, I like it to not ever be stored warm. And so uh, we can't package anything. I mean, like most of our product is packaged while we're selling it. Like it doesn't just all get packaged and then it all goes. Like uh, it's like packaged to order. And so, cause we don't have enough walk-in cooler space. So that's like number one on the priority is for us to get more walk-in cooler space so I can store more cold product and I can refill tanks. And, uh, and so right now, that's our issue but it also keeps all the beer fresh on the market so like usually when you buy i mean usually when a retailer buys our beer like it got kegged the day before or can or it got canned you know within a within the two to three week period yeah very fresh yeah definitely something to be said for that and that's why um i think that's been a staple of small craft brewers around the country that's why fresh beer that's why yes uh it doesn't always mean that a small brewery is going to make fantastic beer but freshness is Mm -hmm. a large part of that equation well so here we are today in early 2023 and i just think if you look now put your hat on to look out across the the 
beer market in West Virginia, the brewery market. You know, I think back like 10 years ago, you could just count the number of breweries in this state on one or two hands anyway. Uh, today, we're up in the 30s. Uh, in your opinion, though, is there still room for growth of new breweries opening in this state? And, and if there are, uh, where are those gaps that a new brewery could fill? Absolutely. Um, I mean, Charleston. Uh, that's where the, a lot of the economy is there as far as for a taproom scene. Um, Distribution-wise, it's going to be tough. Uh, I think they'll come and they'll open, but it's going to get tight. And, you know, the survivor, survivors will be survivors. But uh, I just think that the taproom scene is where it's at for a lot of new breweries that want to open. Yeah, that seems to be the you're way just, it is nationally from when you look at the statistics. You have to – if you're going to open a new brewery and distribute a lot, you're just going to have to compete with the rest of us that have been doing it for the past – you know, we've been doing it for five years, but there's breweries here before us like Bridge Brew and Big Timber that have been doing it a lot time, lot before us. And eventually you kind of hit that – you know, you kind of hit that spot where there's not many more restaurants opening, but there's right. more breweries <laughs> opening. And so – the good thing about that is people from West Virginia love stuff that's made from West Virginia. And <laughs> that so, is very true. And so that's where that's where yeah. we've got the upper hand maybe on some of these outside brands. But uh, I think there's room for more breweries to open. I think the tap room model that serves you know good food uh, they're they're going to be successful because it's a new restaurant basically opening as well. Right. Yeah, and when I look at the uh, the statistics for, you know, add up all the beer made by West Virginia small brewers, that percentage of the total beer sold in West Virginia is still pretty tiny compared to a lot of other more more advanced, I guess, craft brewing states mm-hmm. where they have more brewers already and bigger brewers. That those, you know, that market penetration for craft in West Virginia local breweries is, still seems like it should have a big upside. It does. Uh the uh every time there's a new cool restaurant open that opens you know we're, we're just like yes finally another <laughs> another another spot yeah and uh and so uh for there to be more uh distributing breweries in the state we need more cool restaurants to open up to to sell our beer mm-hmm. or we need them to open up second locations like pies and pints is done or you know yeah uh, sure but that's also what i notice in other states you know try to follow the national market to some extent that um most breweries in those states don't distribute in, in a lot of states where they may have hundreds of breweries. They're, a, or they may just distribute very locally. They aren't really distribution breweries. Yeah, and then, like, that's the dream right there is, like, you get all that stress taken off of you about, like, logistics of how we're going to get this to these places and, like, how we're going to, like, that. Um, that's a, uh, that's kind of the dream right there. But uh, Bobby Bowling would be shaking his head right now because he wouldn't have a job. Uh, well, so. yeah, yeah. I don't want to put anybody out of work. But, uh, no, but, I, I think maybe it's curious as to what you're seeing and where your sales on-premise versus off-premise. I mean, we talked about some of the styles of beer and things that what you're selling. But have your on-premise here at the tap room picked up relative to what you sell out to the distribution market? Yes, 100%. Uh, we, since the beginning, we've picked up our, uh, you know, tap room sales big time. And that changed dramatically when we got food. Uh, but every year, I think more and more people from North Carolina, that go skiing at the ski resort. They, uh, they find out about us more and more every year, as well as the new river gorge. Uh, mm-hmm. they, uh, it's just, 
on any weekend you can just look at the license plates out there and they're not from west virginia so like they're traveling and they're stopping and uh they're you know finding out about us uh our our tap room sales are are a large part of our business yeah i know i think you've found a sweet spot and i remember thinking early on i may have even mentioned this to you back when i first met you guys and talking you were going to open this brewery out here in cool ridge and i'm going holy crap that's that's out in the middle of nowhere you know it's like well people find that place it's great to hear that people are finding weather ground brewery in cool ridge and it's and it's great to see new faces in here that come back like every week it's just uh it tickles us for sure Ah, the power of craft beer i'll tell you good craft beer anyway yeah thank you well, since you started your brewery, this business has always been a close partnership between you and, of course, your wife, Erin. And I understand recently that Erin is utilizing her law degree and taking on some work outside of the brewery. So does this require you guys to make any adjustments in the way that you guys operate here? Or how has that changed things as far as managing the brewery for you, you two? Uh, it's a lot more on her shoulders because she's not giving up any duties. Um, <laughs> oh boy! So uh, uh, she's, she's still, talented. She can do it. She yeah. still has to. Uh, she still has to do the things that she does, and uh, most mostly be the you know the answer to all the questions that we all have constantly. And so <laughs> she's she's uh, right now. She's only. Uh, she's been with her new job for two weeks and she still has all her duties at the at the brewery and she's still extremely passionate about this but you know she went to law school and got a law degree and practiced for a while so she's uh she's still that's been missing you know she was very passionate about that before we opened this brewery Mm -hmm. and it took a lot for her to stop and to uh and to help us open this and to to be the the boss around here with uh, and the, the overlooks pretty much every every part of the every department here, you know has to go through her, and so uh, it's going to be a lot. But she enjoys it. She enjoys multitasking. She enjoys challenges, mm-hmm. and she's uh, this place would not be near as good as it is. Ever. I don't know if we would have survived. Definitely would not have survived the pandemic without her switching gears and making changes every day every hour about how we do stuff um but as of now there's no no staffing changes she's gonna just no staffing she's changes. gonna manage it all yep. in the beautiful way that she does yep sounds good well i'm out of the first beer that we uh are that ipa that we started with and i think you brought us one more beer to sample during the podcast so uh sam could you tell us about beer number two sure uh, right now, you're going to be tasting the uh, our newest barley wine. It's an uh, it's called Margaret. Uh, the uh, we have two beers named after my other daughters, and so the uh, it was time to finally make one named after my third. Um, Margaret is an English style barley wine, a style that I've been uh, not made yet, but kind of been keeping in my back pocket. Um, to me, the like American style barley wine is like kind of like a darker uh, triple IPA almost. Um, in some ways, uh, there's a lot of American hops that we use in our Amer- uh, American barley wine, whereas this English style is full of East Kent Golding's hops, uh, Noble hops, and uh, it's a little bit chewier and maltier, mm-hmm. and uh, it's high, it's uh, high ABV at 10%. But uh, you have to get this beer, you have to come to our tap room. Uh, to get the regular Margaret, um, it's uh, because the uh, we only got about two kegs of this. 
all the rest of it went into smooth ambler bourbon barrels and so we will package that beer when it's ready and it'll be a bourbon barrel aged version of this beer it's uh, quite delicious and smooth yeah beautiful brown color with a very fine carbonation the head is beautiful on this a tan head and uh got this mouthfeel that's a beautiful mouthfeel mm-hmm. it is Just luscious it's uh it's been one of my favorites. It can be kind of scary to some people because they, they, they see it up there. Barley wine, 10.2%. But, uh, man, it's just the perfect weather for it. And it's going to continue to be the perfect weather for it in our part of the state up through, you know, mm-hmm. March, April before the hot, uh, the hot months. It's just it's, yeah. uh, it's good barley wine season. It's always darker beer season in West Virginia because when the sun goes down, it cools it off. It gets cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly up here, you're at a high elevation up on a mountaintop. Yeah. But Anthony has a lot of reins over the uh, brew house and, like, developing a lot of recipes these days. And, like, every once in a while, um, I'll throw throw my two cents in and and say this is how we should make this one. And so I'm proud, since that one was named after my daughter, that um, I I wrote that recipe. And so I'm uh, really happy with it. And you said we're going to see this out in the market at pretty soon i would assume or do you do you have a ballpark figure uh when it tastes good i mean when it, ta- when it tastes right <laughs> oh, uh, that's the ones that are in the whiskey barrels right they're in the whiskey barrels uh they, they didn't get put into whiskey barrels until december so it'll, it'll probably be like march yeah so okay. what you're getting at the brewery right now is not a barrel age correct that's just yeah. the regular base and of the beer. I sh- yeah i think it's a shame almost to put this in a whiskey barrel i i, I, I wish I, you'd <laughs> have more of it the, uh, straight out well we sort of we sort of rotate like we brew a uh we brew an imperial stout called ada and then mm-hmm. sometimes that's bourbon barrel aged and we also have a regular version it doesn't mean that you're going to get both in the same year okay. uh, just sometimes we do the regular one and we'll have we'll have a, that package version of that and then sometimes we do the bourbon barrel aged version well since we're talking about a couple of versions of beers uh one thing that all local beer fans want to hear about is what's on tap here at weather ground brewery right now so let's talk about the products this winter that uh, uh, beer fans are drinking here on most of these days and maybe just a few highlights of what's upcoming yes yeah, so uh we started the winter off with our winter lager mm-hmm. and uh it's always a debate on how much we should brew of that because nobody wants to, nobody gets a beer called frosted ground like i feel like i always thought like after christmas nobody orders winter lagers anymore mm-hmm. of course we did not brew enough of it um, <laughs> uh, yeah i think that was a bad call if you ran out <laughs> by christmas we, yeah we ran out way before christmas <laughs> oh, so God. uh but so um well, you're up here on the snow belt, though. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. This is winter up here. Yeah, so we, we we did brew a hazy IPA with our neighbors at Winter Place Ski Resort. That's been received really well. It's just been one of our best sellers ever. You know, we're going on 44 barrels of that beer. And the name? Yard Sale is the name of it. And it's a hazy IPA named after when you bust on the ski hill and you got equipment going every which direction and somebody rides by, it looks like a yard sale. Yeah, I tried that recently and I've been enjoying it. It's a nice, fruity, hazy, easy drinking, about 6%, I think. Yeah, the whole way that that beer came about, or the ingredients for that beer came about is... uh, I was texting with Alex from Greenbrier Valley, uh, Alex and Jeff over there, and they were needing some because uh, they're brewing a lot of small batches now, and they were needing some uh, some wheat or something, and uh, and instead of uh, instead of cutting a check, we just traded, and uh, I got all these Hallertal Blanc hops, and I was like, well, now I got to figure out something to make with Hallertal Blanc hops, 
and uh, and we had just happened to be talking at the same time with Winter Place, and I was like, let's do a hazy IPA with Hartal Blanc Ops. Perfect. And uh, so that's how that beer came. Yeah, I would think out. that's probably pretty uncommon. I wouldn't say you're the first guy to make uh, a hazy IPA with Hollow, but those Hollow Blanc Ops are not really IPA hops typically, I guess. They are. Uh, well, they're a German hop, but they. Uh, they have very like white wine characteristics to right. them, yeah, and uh, we paired them with another hop that we. Uh, and this is kind of like Anthony's magic too. He already knew the characteristics of the <laughs> HBC uh, 630 hops that we paired it with. That hop doesn't really have a name. Dang, yet. yeah, and, that's uh, one of them experimental <laughs> earlier experimental and, uh, ones. He knew they would be a good match together, and so uh, it just turned it turned out wonderful. It's only six percent, so you mm-hmm. can have a bunch of them when you get off the ski hill. That's how we're marketing it anyway, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was really cool that Snowshoe has been going after it because that's like you know compet- competing <laughs> uh, ski hill sort of, yeah. and uh, they can't keep enough of it. They love it up there at uh, the Junction Ale House. Yeah, that's great. I've had it as well, and it, it is quite easy to drink. Yeah, I love that beer. Well, you just went over beers that you're selling now in, of course, the winter season. But I'd like to know if you see a lot of seasonality in the beer styles that your customers like to drink. Uh, yeah, people look people look forward to the seasonals. But uh, as you know, hazy IPAs. So I think it was a great idea to have a hazy IPA as a seasonal because uh, we're going to make it anyway. <laughs> and the, uh, you know. The, uh, yeah, plan. But so... Uh, there's definitely people. I'm seasonal myself. I, I'm seasonal about beer. I love drinking mm-hmm. Oktoberfest during the Oktoberfest season, mm-hmm. and I love drinking stouts during stout season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just something uh, nostalgic about it, I think. And customers 100% come in and ask questions like, when's this seasonal going to be ready? And uh, So some of those same customers that, like, like to drink those seasonal yeah. beers yeah. is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. You know, I think in West Virginia, though, because we're a smaller population state, and, and certainly in our areas like you're in, there's not a huge population. So you you tend to have people that, that want beers they just like, and you have to kind of satisfy a wide range of people. And certainly you guys have made, like, tons of different beers all the time. I mean, you're always, you know, putting out a new beer, a different style. And I think that might satisfy whether you're getting people coming off the interstate that are from out of state coming mm-hmm. in this you know passing by or the the locals and what they want and of course what i'm seeing in west virginia is that hazy ipas are never out of season no. that's just what people are drinking here mm-hmm. i've sort of over the past this this year this goes along with what we were talking about earlier with the cool ridge haggard and our our flagships mm-hmm. like i'm sort of getting we're getting to the point where we've been open for five years now and it's getting tough to, or I'm feeling like it's going to get tough to have a new beer constantly, like constantly making these new beers. And I want to revisit, keep revisiting ones we've already made that I liked the most and that sold the best and get those very consistent. But then it seems like lately, like it's just like a different collaboration with a different account constantly and we're having to come up with a new beer and a new name for that beer and it's like i'm i'm really i think we have enough under our belt now (laughs) where we can start going backwards and rebrewing ones that we haven't made in a while Mm -hmm. and uh i say that but in a couple weeks it'll probably be something we have to come up with for yeah i mean (laughs) i I think the market pulls both ways i mean to some extent everybody wants something new you know in the market all the time and then other times once you've 
got an established base, which now after you've been in business a number of years, you will, and they like certain brands that you make or certain yeah. you know styles, and that that you kind of remake those. Yeah. And I know you have several that are that are your kind of flagships and all. I just think that's kind of a normal progression for a for a, a good brewer, you know that. that, that makes a lot of different styles i think on our production side you'll start seeing less brand new beers and more just revisits and then some just getting the uh some just getting the axe and not coming back but uh that's for our production side in the tap room uh finally last week got with chris our cellar man because he he's been asking about it for a while and I just haven't had the time or the uh, motivation to break out, break the pilot system back out. So this uh, coming into the spring is about the time of year where our chalkboard will start. Uh, you'll start seeing erased marks on our chalkboard because stuff's running out because the the distributing side is picking up. And so it was a good time to break that out. And, and uh, we brew just a standard pale ale because that needs to be the first one. And uh and so I'm showing him the ropes on how to make these pilot batches so it still stays interesting upstairs mm-hmm. in their tap room, but uh, maybe not as much on the production side. Uh, we'll try to revisit and just keep, keep making some of our really good beers. So let's change gears a little bit and ask you to look more at the big picture of the beer business and uh, the way it's regulated in West Virginia. There always seems to be things we could do to improve the business climate for our small local brewers. Well, legislature's in town now, and I'm kind of wondering if you have anything you think that uh, should be done, could be done, that would either remove roadblocks or help solve some problems facing the West Virginia brewing industry. I think that one big roadblock that that all the brewers are not a fan of is... uh, is getting roped into a contract that we have to stay with a distributor for a long period of time. Um, Let me ask you, is that kept one thing that's kept you away so far from using a beer I, distributor? I don't think that I would automatically, if that law gets changed, I won't automatically go with a distributor, but it's definitely disheartening and makes me not, you know, because. Even want to consider it, yeah. You're committing you're, you're committing your livelihood to these people that have lots of different brands that they and they can't just care about your brand and so it's just that would be a hard commitment for me okay. and then uh, but we've had a lot of good things happen over the last couple of years and sure. uh, that's that's one big one I know that some some brewers are, are just not a fan of and I think there's some some language in there about like uh, open uh, that we talked about earlier, opening up secondary tap rooms that maybe needs to be more clear and and uh, that's uh, it's kind of getting in the way of some places opening maybe. And yeah, when you say we talked about it earlier, that was pre-recording uh, here, but it was a discussion of the fact that the West Virginia law only allows a brewery to have one uh, one in-house. Uh, operation tap room whatever you can't have a second brewery and tap room and another under the same name well yeah i mean it'd have to be even they tend to look at where the you know who the the owners are really they said that in the past i don't Mm -hmm. know where they are today but whatever yeah so that's something i know the craft brewers are looking at is allowing brewers to open a second brewery operation not just a tap room uh, selling their beer, but actually an uh, actual production facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those two things are really important and need to be addressed. And then after that, I don't know where you go because 
I think that there were some people that worked really hard to get some things done during the pandemic that drastically changed, you know, how... They, uh, those were temporary. That was... The, well, some were, yeah. Some things. Some, yeah. They, uh, it's a pretty... I think now we're a pretty good state to make alcohol in, make and sell alcohol in, uh, versus, you know, maybe it was pretty negative, uh, you know, five or six years ago. I think that it's it kind of mirrors North Carolina now and some of these states around Yeah, us. I think the, the government or the governing agencies, the... West Virginia Alcohol Beverage Control. Uh, all it takes is one. Yeah. All it takes is one signature, though, for a law to drastically change, like that, yeah. like the tax uh, thing that was going on uh, that we were so scared was going to be an right. enormous right. tax hike. Uh, yeah, right. and that came from the governor, not the uh, necessarily the alcohol regulators. Right. So uh, definitely, uh, don't be afraid to voice your opinions and and vote for who you, is going to uh, is is going to care about us because we want to stay here and we want to be here and uh, we don't want enormous tax hikes uh, you got to be able to afford to to stay here and be here absolutely yeah Yeah. well i think it's good to know i mean luckily that did not happen (laughs) yeah i think it's good for uh, listeners to know that there are uh, folks in the brewing industry that are here in west virginia working on improving always improving the laws that regulate the industry because there's a few like you mentioned a few places that we could get better and be more more positive business climate for Mm -hmm. small brewers Mm -hmm. exactly well, uh, we'll we'll switch gears. You know, after talking about all of the legal kind of a little bit more static stuff, um, let's get back to Weathered Ground itself. And along the way, as the brewery has developed into the brewery that we all love today, there must have been some interesting anecdotes, stories, customer antics, something that just you know made you laugh, gave you a good chuckle. Is there anything in particular that might come to mind that that you want to share with us today? He is going to hate me for this, but uh, <laughs> our ex-tap room manager, Adam Tyree, which congratulations. I remember Adam. Congratulations. Uh, he just had a baby uh, two days ago. Wonderful. Um, but uh, Adam <laughs> came downstairs to pour a sample from a tank for uh, our best customer at the time, who's no longer a customer. He's an employee, uh, Terry Smith. Terry and his wife Tanya were down here wanting to sample the beer we named after them, which is a delicious Scotch ale called Wee TNT. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adam uh, went thought that he was taking the uh, what we call the Zwickle, which is how we pour beer from the tanks. He thought he was taking the Zwickle off, but he actually uh, had no business being down here messing with the tanks. Oh, he no. took he took the uh, sample port off of the fermenter oh, no. uh, under pressure. And it's a pretty big room down here. There's not one square inch down here that did not have beer. Oh uh, my gosh! And uh, I was gone, and I got a phone. I got a phone call, and uh, Te- was, tears, anger. He was pretty. Uh, he was pretty distraught, and uh, all I said was, "Are you okay?" Like physically, and he said yes, and I was like, "It's okay then." Um, and so that. Uh, oh boy! Luckily. You know, that's been the worst, the, uh, you know, about the, uh, yeah, the you know, biggest thing that's happened down here. The, uh, and, you know, I think it was like a month later, we did an employee outing to, uh, Asheville and went to Sierra Nevada. 
And uh, while you're doing the Sierra Nevada tour, there's this huge blown up picture of an employee with like a helmet and glasses <laughs> on, and they're and they're taking a sample from the Zwickle there at Sierra Nevada, and uh, we all made Adam stand in front of the uh, the picture and get his. Uh, and we took the picture. It was pretty funny. That's pretty great. Yeah, it's been fun being here today. I know um, getting to listen a little bit to the music you've got going on up in the tap room. People should uh, come on down here to cool ridge west virginia maybe and uh, check out your tap room if they haven't already or if they have come back yeah yeah absolutely Weatherground is a fantastic spot to just you know drive through stay a little while either way it's definitely something you need to experience so sam thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today here on west virginia beer roads thank you guys so much uh, thanks for always having me on and uh, i enjoyed it this brings us to the close of another podcast Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.